Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves and paying for it out of our own pockets because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after-the-episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society. Even in the readings, it was so interesting. You'd go to the readings, Mary would read it exactly right, exactly the way she was going to do it in the show. Valerie would try different things. She wasn't sure. And Phyllis wasn't even in the room. She'd come late. She wouldn't stay in her place. She didn't know. She hadn't read it. She said, and the camera guys would go nuts because they never knew what she was going to. She was a genius, though. Hello, world. Here's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who got their school supplies at the Ben Franklin for a grand total of one crisp $5 bill. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be celebrating how women's roles on TV changed after a certain someone moved to Minneapolis and threw her hat in the air. And we'll get all the dirt from a very special guest, the writer who brought so many of those stories to life, Susan Silver. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Hello world, is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Prior to the late 60s, TV was dominated by men, and the women on your screen were mostly wives and mothers. And all women, whether or not they were mothers or wives, maybe they were teachers or secretaries, were written by men, who I think we can all agree are not historically gifted at knowing what women are thinking or feeling, until a wave of women writers started inching their way into the writers' rooms of Hollywood, changing the landscape of roles for women forever. Because famously, the Mary Tyler Moore show was the first to go out and recruit women to write for their female characters. It's true. Until the late 1960s, women weren't typically ever the main character, were they? That's they true. were plain second fiddle. They were the wives. They were the mothers. Um, there were certainly women characters on TV shows, but rarely were they the main character. They were setting up the joke oftentimes. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at Mary Tyler Moore herself who is Laura Petrie, right? Laura Petrie, as hilarious as she was, played a vastly different role in society than Mary Tyler Moore did just five years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. That's a great um, a great example. She, you know, she was just another stay-at-home mom when she was Laura Petrie. But did you guys know that Mary Tyler Moore refused to give viewers another inaccurate portrayal of being a housewife? And the way she did that is she wore capri pants a lot. <gasps> Um, oh, and she said, pants. Mary Tyler Moore actually yes. said, I had Laura wear pants because I, because I said, women don't wear full skirted dresses to vacuum in. She told TV Guide this in 2004. Um, but Carl Reiner, who um, was the show's creator, he, um, he said he wouldn't let Mary Tyler Moore wear pants in more than one scene per episode. But wow. Mary Tyler wow. Moore said, yeah, I went along with that for about three episodes. And then finally, I was just wearing the pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and think about it, you guys. She was only like 22. So that's oh, pretty so ballsy cute. to go to Carl Reiner, who is like a comedy god. He's the big boss. Mm-hmm. She's she's right. a kid at 22 years old to make that kind of a stand. That's pretty big. Well, and that was the type of stand in the late 60s. Let's think about it. Because when I just said that women um, were typically just the wives or the mothers, I mean, this is also all just a sign of the times, right? This is all right. like what's happening. However... You know, women, Mary Tyler Moore is saying, no, women aren't wearing their giant skirts to vacuum Mm -hmm. and to run around the house. That's how they're being portrayed on television. That's right. Right. That's right. 
Think about June Cleaver, who's completely made up. Donna Reed, completely made oh up. And they even show them like pushing a vacuum, <laughs> completely made up. Right. Even with jewelry. The pearls. Right. With the poppet beads. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And their little kitten heels. They're walking yes. around the house with their oh my little God, heels. heels. You guys, you know what's funny is how I said that was a sign of the time. So so progress, right? As obviously we can say women in TV as we've gotten older, you know, then we get into, you know, the different types of clothing. Right now, all three of us sitting here, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in my pajama <laughs> pants, which I will stay in for oh, the yeah. rest of the day when I'm cooking mm-hmm. dinner. All of us have our hair up on top of our heads. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, life, yeah. right? Oh, that's exactly. Right. You're exactly. lucky I'm wearing a bra today. <laughs> oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually. Thank you. Yeah, you know right. who I thought of first? I noticed you looked a little perkier. <laughs> yeah, now you can see them in the frame. <laughs> they're usually they're below everyone. the frame. Yeah. <laughs> They're just hoisted a little bit. So the first person that came to mind when we were talking about the before and after, the women on TV before, the women on the TV after, in the before I thought of Lucy. Of course, we all love Lucy. Everybody loves Lucy. And Lucy, as again, as groundbreaking as she was, she was at home and all she wanted to do was be in the show. She just wanted to be in Ricky's show. It's like women weren't allowed to have a purpose outside of being wives and mothers. Mm -hmm. And so she had a purpose once little Ricky was born. But prior to that, her purpose was to stay home and be Ricky's wife. Despite her begging, she wanted a purpose so bad. Here it is on full display for all of us. I want to be in the show. No, Lucy, you have to stay home. And the great irony, of course, is that Lucy was in charge of that show. Mm -hmm. She ran that show. That's exactly right. Wow. And I guess, you know, the end of the day back then, it was like, well, are P- are, is the public ready to see it something right. differently? So mm-hmm. even though Lucy Ball, Lucille Ball might have wanted to do it differently, it was hard to justify that if she was going to have an, if they were going to have an audience for the show. Would anyone watch it? Right. Would well, anyone mm-hmm. watch it is and I exactly think right. The key word that you guys have used, um, Kristen, you've used, I think we've, we've all used, but is portrayed, right? I think that's right. The key word mm-hmm. we're talking about here and women in TV is how they're portrayed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to be important mm-hmm. in our conversation going forward, I think. Even Carol Brady, like, thank God she had that right. solo at church on Christmas Eve <laughs> because outside of that, <laughs> What? Who was Carol Brady? What did we she had, do? Right. Well, we had to wait till the um the re or the um sequels, the movies, because then she was a realtor. That was right. But she that was evolved. only after you... the kids were all grown and flown mm-hmm. and all of that. Could she finally have a career? Which that was again as a realtor. Otherwise, her purpose was making cookies. No, but not really. Alice made them most of the time. She just, Carol always just like was in the kitchen too, like stirring a pot with Alice. But let's actually, let's ponder this question. Mm -hmm. What did Carol Brady do all day? She She didn't clean the house. She didn't have to do, I think she went to the grocery store once, the one time where the guy was like, oh, I want to put you guys on commercial. But other than that, you're always seeing Alice coming in with the groceries. And I mean, Alice is like, a couple times, I think she sewed some costumes. Didn't she? Okay. I think there's a couple. Mm-hmm. Times. Oh, she was knitting once. She was knitting when mm-hmm. um, Oliver came in. And <laughs> we had cousin Oliver, and I just remember the scene where he came in. And anyway, she was so knitting. she had a hobby. Yeah, but that's she had still a not hobby. a purpose. Yeah, I think this is a fun question to throw out mm-hmm. to our listeners. You guys send us DMs with your um, top three things Alice or Carol Brady was doing during yeah. the day. I bet we'll get some because really Mike gets to be an architect. Right. right. So he gets, and he's still taking care of his children and a present father and everything. So it's all about, you know, what is your purpose in addition to being a wife and a mother? It's not that we're saying that these women shouldn't be wives and mothers and they should just be career women. It's that men were able to be well-rounded and that they had a purpose outside of their wives and children, but the women didn't have a purpose outside of the the children and the husband. Oh, right. We're certainly not saying Carol Brady didn't have a purpose and she wasn't a loving mother. We're just saying the way she was, again, I'm going to use the word portrayed, was that she was always just walking, oh, hi, honey. Like, you know, when Mike comes in, honey, I'm home. And she comes walking briskly out of the kitchen in her pantsuit. (laughs) Hi, honey. And she gives him a kiss. And like, what was she doing back there? Like, what was she I doing? Mean, sometimes yeah. she's helping Alice, but Alice is the one doing all the housework and that kind of stuff. So, 
just it's how she was portrayed. We're not saying Carol Brady, everybody out there, settle yeah. down. We're not saying Carol well, Brady didn't have a purpose and she wasn't Alice a great is mother. A good, Alice is a good example, too, because you were allowed to be a teacher on TV. You were allowed to be a nurse or a secretary, and you were also allowed to be a housekeeper. <laughs> That's right. You could be a housekeeper. Right. But And those are all maternal roles. So even if you think about Aunt B, Aunt B wasn't married, but she is the maternal figure in the show. She was the maiden aunt who took care of the orphan. Mm-hmm. That's so right. And, you know, it wasn't even just um, live TV. I was thinking even about the cartoons we were exposed to early oh on gosh. when we would watch um, the Flintstones. I mean, Wilma and Betty, they right. were just staying what at they home. Do? I know. And Jane Jetson. And, mm-hmm. and Jane, she even had like people to do the stuff for her. She didn't have to necessarily be. Right. Mm-hmm. And Judy. The daughter, she kind of just fed right into that same um, kind of prototype. So we were kind of before Mary Richards. This was the message that we were getting as TV viewers and as young girls. And Mm -hmm. as our special guest, who you'll be hearing our conversation in just a moment, she pointed out, she corrected us. She said Mary wasn't the first working girl on TV. That was actually Marlo Thomas in that girl. And actually, Marlo Thomas was offered several scripts to read, but they all um, focused on women who were either the traditional girlfriend or a wife or a secretary to someone else. And she wanted a show in which the main character was a young, modern, focused woman, on her, focused on her own dreams and aspirations. And over time, so finally she got that girl, and over time, she became the producer of the show. And so she made a lot of those decisions about what would happen with, with uh, Anne-Marie. Well, and one really big decision she made was, um, you know, Susan, who you'll hear in just a moment saying, you know, they pitched an idea to that girl where she would get married and there was going to be a big engagement party to Don. And Marlo Thomas said, no, 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 we're not going to have, um, we're not going to have her get married. She's going to stay single, independent. Right. And I think we talked about in our, uh, it might have been in the Free to Be You and Me episode where we talked a lot about Marlo, but that that last episode instead was she takes um, Don to a, like a women's lib meeting with her. <laughs> oh, that's um, right. So it was like instead the- Instead of getting engaged. Right. Instead of getting yeah, engaged yeah. and married, that mm-hmm. was like, come see my world. Let's see what's going on over here. So Okay. Do you want to know another really great that girl fact? Mm-hmm. Sure. This is so great. So in 1968, after um, feminist protests- were burning bras, Marlo Thomas began to go braless on the show. And she said, I'm going to get this on a shirt, you guys, because I'm seeing people around us going braless now. And I'm like, let's do this. Well, you she are. Said, yeah, Except for right? today. <laughs> and some people would say, I should not. Um, but, I'm, but I'm going to. This is what she said. And I'm getting this on a t-shirt. God created women to bounce. So be it. <laughs> I love that. That is epic. Yeah. Because Mike will often be like, you cannot do that, Chris. And I'm like, this is the way they were made. That's (laughs) That's right. right. They bounce. Well, some of ours Mm -hmm. don't really bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. Some of them are different. (laughs) We drag. We drag them behind (laughs) us. Only one drag. Only one of them. (laughs) A little water balloon. We're on a leash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Even after that girl and Mary Tyler Moore, we start to see women being more trade, number one, in a more realistic fashion, where they're, they're able to have um, purposes outside of their children. And sometimes that's aspirational, right? They're, they're showing us a roadmap. We were the young girls who were watching this show, and now we know that we can envision our futures as something in addition to being wives mm-hmm. and mothers. Sometimes it's simply realistic. If you think about Florida Evans or Bonnie Franklin, what was Bonnie Franklin's name on the show? Anne Romano. Her name is Anne, Anne Romano. Romano. Okay, so Florida Evans and Anne Romano, those were women who were working because they needed to put food on the table. And that's a more accurate portrayal of women's lives than is, than is June Cleaver in her full dress and kitten heels vacuuming without having anyone right. go after oh, that. Oh, for sure. So maybe the market. You can add Linda Lavin, Alice, to that too. Alice. I mean, these are mm-hmm. working class women who are going through all the struggles. I mean, let's not forget it. And Alice, for goodness sake, Tommy had to sleep on a pullout sofa. You know, that's right. right. Little little that's Philip right. McKeon had to sleep on a pullout mm-hmm. sofa. So they're just showing up. They, they were portrayed as just a very realistic view of in the mid-70s, these working-class women and the struggles they were facing, but this still being wonderful mothers and still mm-hmm. being caring right. and supportive mothers, yeah. 
but mm-hmm. also showing us that you don't have to be a wife and a mother to be right. successful. I mean, Mary That's Richards, right. again, um, a prime example um, of that. And I'd like to throw out, um, do you all remember Pepper Anderson? Oh, no. Policewoman? That would be Policewoman, oh, yes. which was right, one of right, my right. favorite shows. So Angie Dickinson was actually, yes. that was the first police drama that featured a female lead. And it empowered a generation of women. There was such an, it was the biggest increase in females applying to poli- to the police force than any other time in history. I just, I remember her um, and that role. I think I played policewoman. Oh, we did. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. And even though Earl Holloman, um, I was doing a little research, he was her superior. In my mind, thinking back to the show, he was like her assistant. Like she was the main yeah. one. She drove the ship. Yes. And um, I, I just loved that show. Well, and let's spin that out into Charlie's Angels, which mm-hmm. is often, um, you know, sort of demeaned as being Jiggle TV. But those women went to the police academy. They were catching bad guys. Right. Exactly. Well, Jimmy I mean, Cleaver was not catching any bad guys. They no. were empowered, right? They were like, yes, they I were. feel like the women in post Mary Richards, in the 70s, they were strong, they were resourceful, they were self-sufficient, self-confident, they were educated, they were empowered. And I think we could, I will even argue that, um, you know, Ma Ingalls, even though we might, you know, some people might go, yeah, that's such a traditional role. Okay, of course, the roles were traditional, but Ma Ingalls was fierce. I mean, mm-hmm. she had a strength of physical and just more notable strength of character, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would argue that Ma Ingalls shared a lot of those same qualities. I mean, that's a character off her written own in leg. the 70s, too. That's yes. Right. The woman she ran into a burning a barn. to her leg. Yes. She saved all those animals in the burning barn. I mean, that was that was a moment but, for Ma Ingalls. But just written differently, right? So we're now in the 70s, yeah. and so they're writing Little House on the Prairie, and of course they still have to have these traditional roles because we're in the 1800s, but they're writing, Carolyn, um, to be all of those qualities that we're seeing yeah. in the Alice's right. or in the, you know, Anne Romano's in the Charlie's She's Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of my favorite uh, women was, as you've heard me talk about many times before, was Lindsay Wagner mm-hmm. as oh, Jamie yes. Summers in The Bionic Woman, which was really the first female-led kind of science fiction-y drama mm-hmm. Um show that really trailblazed for a lot of shows up until now that feature women as leads in this genre, which had never happened before. And I adored Jamie Summers. I mean, and you talk about independent and obviously strong, but Steve Austin loved her. But because of her tragic accident that indeed had her become bionic, she had this kind of amnesia and she didn't remember how much she evidently loved him before. And he was always still pursuing her, but she... She didn't ever feel that for him, and that she never had really a romantic interest in the show. I mean, she was able to fight Sasquatch and the Fembots, <laughs> and, you know, and we believed it, and we were right there with her. And she wasn't having boink, boink, you know, our our sex with Steve that I always wanted her to have, but she didn't that's have right. to. Like, that's, she didn't have to because she has enough what? story on her own. Right, Exactly. <laughs> What episode was that where you said that and we were talking about what would the sound effects have been, though, if they would have had sex? And you know what? I'm not the only one who started to kind of put these together. Do you know that there is a book that a University of South Carolina English professor wrote, and it's titled The Bionic Woman and Feminist Ethics? I want to How take about that class. them That's apples? Okay, Isn't that great? Taking that class. I want to go to college now. <laughs> Wait, I had like oh. I had like calm one hundred, or I had like religions <laughs> right. of the world. <laughs> yep, art history. Yeah. Um, another right. character, though, let me mention um, quickly that um, sometimes I think goes. Um, you know, unnoticed is Elaine um, from Taxi, Mary Lou Henner. Don't forget, she was keeping up with and in the boys club in a very male centered occupation Mm -hmm. at the time. And man, she was, she was right there. They, she was right with them. I mean, barb for barb, joke for joke. She was just as tough as all of, all of them. And um, that was something unusual to see too. It was, she had, they were realistic about the harassment that she had to put up with. Well, that's true Both in the workplace and from customers too. That is true. No, so they didn't shy away from that. Um, yeah, I think but they let her, the but they showed us how she could, how she could take that's it. That's right. right. How she could how, handle herself. Right. Yeah. How she mm-hmm. didn't succumb, how she wasn't afraid, mm-hmm. how she just told people to shove it. 
Yeah. And which right. also tells us, you don't have to put up with that. You tell them to right. shove it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. I forgot about Elaine. That's a really good one. Um, I was thinking about this transition time between, you know, the late 60s and when Marlo Thomas and Mary Tyler Moore are making, are giving us this, this shift. And so it, it, it wasn't an overnight transition. And Carol Brady was still sort of a little bit Donna Reed, but she mm-hmm. does have her solo at the church. So <laughs> you see that she is a whole woman outside of her children. And then I thought about Shirley Partridge because... She may have worked at the bank, but that wasn't really a strong part of the story. But and I don't know, maybe were they living off of the life insurance from the dad who we assume died that they never talk about? He <laughs> had a real know. nice house. It's a it's a lovely <laughs> house. And I think there is something about her working at a bank. But she's still taking care of her children. This is still a family show. She's still she's not a wife, but we don't think she's divorced. God forbid she wouldn't be divorced, but she still has children to take care of. But she goes back to school. She drives a bus. She <laughs> sings right. back up in her children's band. Like mm-hmm. she becomes a more whole person than somebody that's just serving her children breakfast. Right. And let's not forget, Susan's going to tell us that um, she wrote an episode for Shirley where she's going to wear some hot pants too. So That's right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Laverne and Shirley, you guys, think about mm-hmm. Laverne and Shirley. Yes, they wanted husbands and that was like the running gag, but it was focused on two single women who worked at a brewery. Right. I mean, you're putting I, so many of these things that we've just talked about all together yeah. there. The occupation right. they had, which was probably mm-hmm. typically thought of as very male centered mm-hmm. working at the brewery. That's a word. Do you guys have words that you have a hard time saying? Brewery is one of mine. Yeah, that is a hard one. So like mm-hmm. when every t- I say it, like, oh, we should go tour that brewery. brewery. That's how I say it. Because it sounds like I can't say my R's. I do want to just mention Maud because Maud mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. both yes. the wife and the mother. But she, like you said, Michelle, they often, women often weren't the focus of the show. Maud was the focus of the show. She was a wife and mother. She came from the June Cleaver era. But it was her intellect and her opinions that the faux sh- focused, that the yeah, show focused show. on. Faux right. <laughs> show. And that was groundbreaking. Faux <laughs> show it was. Well, yes, it was. It wasn't just mm-hmm. necessarily the character and what they were doing. It was the topics that, that they were mm-hmm. able to bring to our screens. Like her, um, you know, the abortion conversation, the mm-hmm. women's rights talk, the things that Maud's character was able to bring to the screen. Yeah. So she was a very well-rounded character. We knew her really well in ways that we didn't know June Cleaver. Um, right. We didn't know, even Carol Brady, we didn't know her very well, except for how she took care of her children. But she was in the transitional time. One of the things I thought was super interesting, I recently watched the pilot episode of Maud because... Our guest that you're going to hear from, Susan Silver, was a big part of that episode. And we learned so much about Maud in that probably 25 minutes. I mean, we learned this was her fourth husband. We learned about her upbringing and what her mother was like. I was amazed how great the writing was that we got a very full picture of who Maud was. And there was a lot to know, unlike the previous women in TV. There wasn't much to know. We knew a lot. There was a lot to know about Maud. Um, I think the writing was, I was just going to say, I think the writing was really brave. Um, And I think it was also brave of the people that put these shows on the air. And that brings me to uh, Murphy Brown because, you know, Candace Bergen was, um, her character Murphy Brown um, was the first single mom by choice. If you guys remember Mm -hmm. that um, she was very single, very career focused, and Murphy Brown becomes pregnant accidentally. And she decides to keep the baby and raise him alone. Um, and that went on the air, that whole storyline was played out. And if you remember the vice president at the time, Dan Potato Quail, um, he openly <laughs> criticized, that's his middle name. Did you guys know? Right. It? Potato. Potato. <laughs> um, he openly criticized that. I mean, he accused the show of mocking the importance of fathers. Um, but yet Murphy Brown, and I know Candace Bergen, I, 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 well, I don't you know, know Candace that, Bergen. I, I know do, that's what yeah. I thought she said too. I call her Candy. <laughs> I know she's though. my neighbor. Yeah, I call her Candy. Um, Candy so Candy, I don't know, I know Bergen, really um, if Candy wrote this episode, but you know Candy had a big <laughs> hand in the the reaction and the response to Dan Quayle's words because if you'll also remember that um, they put Dan Quayle's comments in an actual episode where Murphy Brown during a news broadcast she. Um, basically says, 
Unfortunately, it seems that for him, the only acceptable definition of a family is a mother, a father, and children. And in a country where millions of children grow up in non-traditional families, that definition seems painfully unfair. So it was like reality. Mic drop. Yes. And it's all like it all merged, right? And that, talk Mm -hmm. about brave. Woo. Yeah. And trailblazing. Um, Murphy Brown started in what year? Was that 1989, 88? It was the late 80s. I can look it up while you keep talking. Oh, I'll fact check for you, Kristen. It was a pretty good time. Um. It was a pretty good time for women like Murphy Brown. If you think mm-hmm. about Claire Huxtable was portrayed as an extremely successful professional woman, in addition to being a loving mother with a beautiful home. Um, 1988? 1988. For 11 mm-hmm. seasons, yeah. Okay. Oh, Elise Keaton, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And she was an architect, right? That's right, yeah. It's like these women were just allowed to be well-rounded characters. They weren't limited in who they could be. And, and help me with this, you guys. This is going backwards into the 70s again. I can't remember. Did Weezy Jefferson have a job before they moved on up? <laughs> did she work in the dry cleaner store? <laughs> to the or east side. To the east um, side. But it, was, it felt to me like, um, like when they moved on up, she was becoming a woman who didn't have a job. That's what it felt like to me. And remember, she wants oh. to do all the work in the house and George wants her to hire a housekeeper because That's they've right. moved on up. And she's like, no, 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 I don't I don't need that because I don't have anything else to do. I'll just clean the house. So it does feel like she's made a transition mm-hmm. oh, into definitely. something different. Yeah. And I'd like to bring up one other character. We can cut this if we want to. But oh. I'd like to bring up um, Abby Bradford because I think oh. the first moment we meet yes. Abby when she pulls up in her really cool 1940s MG, we immediately that know that for the yeah, right. <laughs> that she is we know we immediately know she's this independent woman. At least that's the feeling I got. Professional like, woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um and coming to do her job. She's tutoring mm-hmm. Tommy since he broke his leg and couldn't go to school. So we're introduced to her as Yes, a professional career woman who then, of course, we know, um, ends up marrying Tom. And but at the same time, she's also this conduit between the female care daughters of the Bradford mm-hmm. family right. and helping stuffy Tom Bradford kind of see like these are independent women, your daughters. Like they can, she you did. know, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you remember the pregnant friend who didn't have That's a place right. to live and mm-hmm. she encourages Tom to let her live with them. And just, you know, times that all of the girls were going through something, she was this kind of wise, strong woman helping them see themselves as strong women and kind of playing that Mm -hmm. place in between. That's a great one to bring up because we talked about Abby a lot in our Eight is Enough episode, which listeners go back um, a little over a year. That's a really fun episode because Abby was so non-judgmental. Like, oh, you're right, right Carolyn. There mm-hmm. were so many storylines that were really, you know, social issues of the time. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, we had seen um, a different type of reaction, I would say, from like the parent. And Abby was very accepting. She was a good listener. She was also a very, you know, her Tom wasn't in, oftentimes. Not often. No, he right. he then mm-hmm. he then became that. But she would also, she would bring him around. Right. Yes. Yeah. She yes. Facilitated but also that. Coming yeah. into that family so late, they also they they the writers could have chosen to make her kind of playing second fiddle to Tom a lot, and they didn't. She was written to be very equal, a very equal partner in that house, um, and a really mm-hmm. important part of that family. Well, and I think because she she was very popular in a way that they didn't expect. We mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. fell in love with Abby Bradford, and I didn't think I don't think they expected that. And even if you think about the girls, all the girls in that household, mm-hmm. every single one of them, we, they were all on a vocational journey of some kind, right? right. Nancy mm-hmm. wanted to be an actress. Joni wanted to be a journalist. Mary wanted to be a doctor. I can't remember what Elizabeth Joni, wanted to do. Joni wanted but, to be an actress, remember? And oh, then it sorry. Was a journalist. I'm and then it. Nancy wanted okay. to be like a model. Yes. Right. With yeah. the blonde hair. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy right. wants to be like right. a, a model. They were focused well, on that. There were vocational stories for them. So they sure, got yeah. to be well-rounded right. too. 
Elizabeth oh, didn't want to wear. Wasn't it Elizabeth who didn't want to wear a bra yes. at one point? Yes. And yeah. Dad mm-hmm. got all. So you know that she she might not have had a vocation, but mm-hmm. she had you know ways she wanted. She was. To she, I was be say her she own was person. exposing herself. That's not what I meant. She was expressing herself. <laughs> yes. Pretty and slip. My goodness. I know. And so you could compare all of the girls on Eight is Enough to all of the girls on like Petticoat Junction. And Petticoat Junction, those girls, it was not, there was no vocational storyline. It was mostly shenanigans and, I don't know, boys? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I was going to say interests. boys and trying to get married, yeah, maybe. trying to get married. Yeah, that's a really good point because when I'm thinking mm-hmm. eight is enough, I'm doing the same thing. I'm thinking, how was Abby portrayed? How was Abby written? But you're right. The way those girls were written was was just as impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, we can 60s. even go to family. Look at family where, you know, Buddy's character is, you know, written right. well. And so is Meredith Baxter Bernie's character is written well. Mom yeah. is a little traditional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's all be Mom honest. Mom is pretty <laughs> traditional. But Buddy gets to be... She doesn't have to be a girly girl. She gets to be who she wants to mm-hmm. be. Well, yeah. and Meredith Baxter Bernie, she's the single mom, you know, living that's in the right. guest house. Oh, but she's that's the right. single mom. Yeah. Living in the guest house. Oh, I, I, love always, that guest house. I just love that little guest oh, house. Oh, I love oh, it. So cute. <laughs> I just wanted to live like and in that. The, what's her name in that? What you guys' character name? Why is that yeah, what escaping is her name? me? Mm. All right, listeners, st- no everybody scream idea. it right now at your device. Right. And one, two, three. Well, I'm going to actually okay, you're gonna do a little research. But So go ahead. You, you guys keep talking. I was going to say Elise, but that's Elise Keaton. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> that's not right. Nancy. Like, Nancy. I think was she, Nancy? she was Nancy. Yeah, I think okay. you're right. She's Nancy. Yeah. yeah. There were so many stories in the – stories? My, my grandma. There were so many TV shows <laughs> in the- <laughs> In the 60s that were about men. It was Gomer Pyle and Hogan's Heroes and F Troop, right? So and I, true. So yeah. when I'm trying to think about the women and how they were portrayed prior to Marlo Thomas and Mary Tyler Moore, I actually had trouble coming up with more than a handful because it was sort of male-dominated stories. And so that's why we just have June Cleaver and Lucy and Laura Petrie over and over again. Hazel, but she's a that she was a housekeeper. And yeah, a little ditzy. Of course, we're celebrating all of these strong, you know, empowered women, but there were still going to always be ditzy women characters in all of these shows. And we love them too for different reasons. But, you know, I came, you know, Chrissy Snow and Mm -hmm. Georgette on (laughs) the Mary (laughs) Tyler Moore show. You had to have some balance, right? I mean, even Chrissy and Janet were, um, they were single women. They were not focused on getting married and having children, they were out doing their thing. She yeah. was still a little ditzy, but still. As, as ditzy as she was, she was still not yeah, a wife or mother. Are, we've got our own. I mean, mm-hmm. I can and then you said Edith. Me. Yeah, Edith Bunker. That's an Well, I'm only one, saying Edith Bunker that. because she was a little bit sub, submissive. I almost said submersive. She was underwater the whole time. Um, and, I think I've done that. that was she was probably, a little submissive, yeah. That was part of the story because um, Meathead and Gloria, Gloria. Were, were trying to – pull her out of the 1950s like mom Mm -hmm. you don't have to do what daddy says right that was part of the storyline so edith's role had to be that way in order to be a contrast to gloria right right well one other thing i thought was interesting i decided i was going to look up who was the first kind of um lead female doctor in like a medical series or hospital series consistently it came up dr quinn medicine woman oh (laughs) Like, you know, we had Marcus Welby. We had Medical Center with Chad Everett. We had some right. other Emergency. shows, but those were all male-dominated. I was right. even thinking of St. Elsewhere, and I couldn't think of a female. I mean, the females I were like think of any the female. nurses. It probably mm-hmm. wasn't until ER that we maybe oh, finally wow. got some female doctors that at least I can remember. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, although Andy pointed out there weren't a whole lot of female doctors anyway, just in the profession. But um, that doesn't mean there were zero. Well, exactly. Exactly. Right. And wouldn't that have been a good storyline? So it was sad right. that Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was is the first. That is kind of shocking. Because you had Dixie right. on emergency. Everyone loves Dixie. She was, right. the, she was the nurse. She was and a let's nurse. not forget Julia. Julia, right. who was right, a nurse. Right. And she was also a single mom, wasn't she? Right. The first black woman to carry a TV show. She was mm-hmm. the star of a TV show. And she, um, Diane Carroll admitted before she died, she was like, it wasn't perfect. I was being written by white men. And that was super frustrating. But she wasn't going to turn down the opportunity to be the first black woman to carry a TV show. Right. Okay. 
So there's a great book called Hot Pants in Hollywood, Sex, Secrets, and Sitcoms by Susan Silver. Susan was one of those legendary writers for the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And in her book, Susan talks about her life in this world of TV men and ultimately her role in giving authentic life to these now iconic female characters. Mm -hmm. And it was our extreme pleasure to talk with Susan Silver, the Susan Silver. She is feminist TV royalty, even though I know that would totally make her roll her eyes, but still. Susan has had such an interesting life and she's so inspirational. Um, just all the, the doors she, you know, busted down and, um, the, the lessons she learned. Also, another thing about this book, it's a very kiss and tell book. There's a lot mm-hmm. of names dropped, which, um, as a fangirl, I loved reading. Um, actually, I listened to the book, which, you know, if you, um, are someone who enjoys audibles, I highly recommend it. Susan reads it and it's like she's telling you this over coffee. It's like she's telling you her yes. life story over coffee. It's very conversational and fun. Please enjoy this fun and lively conversation conversation with the legendary, trailblazing, and very unfiltered Susan Silver. I would like to formally welcome you to the Pop Culture Preservation Society. You are looking at the first generation of children to be influenced by the Mary Tyler Moore Show, right? And it is it is because of you and your trailblazing efforts and the efforts of the other women who were just banging down the doors of the writers' rooms, the TV writers' rooms in the 1970s, that we Gen X women, we we were children at the time, we Gen X women got to grow up with female characters who were funny and nuanced and multidimensional and authentic. (laughs) Yes. real. Real female TV characters, people who became our heroes, not just people to set up the joke. Right. So we are very happy to have you here today. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be had. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in the house for two years now with the pandemic and I'm really bored. This is a good way to get out. Oh my God. And I don't (laughs) go out. I have a garden which I go out to, but now they're doing drilling in the back of a townhouse. I can't even sit in my garden. So I'm I'm quite insane by now. Well, we're happy to be your entertainment for the day. (laughs) No kidding. So uh, Mary Tyler Moore was really the first attempt to portray a woman who was not a wife or a mother. She no. was something different. That girl. That girl. Yes. Of course. Okay, so of we'll course. say one of. I'll give credit to Marlo because, and I'll tell you my story about that. Um, yeah. I had a writing partner, Iris Rainer Dart, who wrote Beaches, who's still my dear friend. And we were trained uh, together under Gary Marshall, who was our mentor. And... Um, we had an appointment with the that girl group and of course they were all men and it wasn't a very good meeting but we pitched our story about them getting donald and she getting engaged and married and it was the engagement party and they bought the script and then marlo said no she loved the script but she didn't want to get married she didn't want to make girls think that you had to get married so they never did but she really paved the way in a lot of ways that's a really, really good point because I was watching that girl at three years old. Oh my God. I mean, you can't tell me that that's not seeping into my skin, right? Those Where were your parents? Were. My parents turned on the TV for me. <laughs> <laughs> They're You're like, occupied. It was the babysitter. Well, we did have a great uh, podcast episode all about free to be you and me, where we actually did kind of extol Marlowe's just great trailblazing you know, efforts in that as well. And also just teaching us so much as children, yeah. even just through oh, that album. She, yeah, she, she had her own production company too, because her dad and everything. So, I mean, she she really was a, a trailblazer. So I give her the credit, even though Mary was the first time that they hired women. Well, and that is that is really what I would like to know about. So we'll say Mary Tyler Moore was like one of the first times that a woman was portrayed, not just as a wife or a mother. And it was also one of the first shows to purposefully pursue women to write the show. And you are one of those people that they pursued. Can you tell us about the campaign that that, mm-hmm. that they had to recruit women's voices and how did you get involved with the show? Um, I was, I was the casting director of Rowan and Martin's laugh and which is before your time, but you know, your Bippy and things like that. And I wanted to write and they said, you can't write because the guys are all in an apartment in their underwear and they want to fart and they can't fart if you're there. And I said, no, they can fart if I'm there. (laughs) But they didn't want to. So I was very upset. 
And I had gone out with some guy and I'd run into him and I was dating somebody else. And he said, oh, you should meet my new girlfriend. She wants to write. And she's being managed by Gary Marshall, the producer of Happy Days and Odd Couple and all those other things. And he has his own um, little company that he had set up for his father. He was great with nepotism. Penny was his sister, his other sister, his father. And he manages writers. And so Iris Raynergard, who wrote Beaches, and I, she was under five feet tall. And my husband said he never knew I had a partner because he never looked under <laughs> five feet tall. I was writing by myself and talking to myself. Anyway, um, she and I are still great friends. Um, so we went um, on our, we got a Love American style that we sold. And then we got this um, Batgirl, which we wrote but didn't sell. And then she took a break to have a baby. And I saw this show called Mary Tyler Moore. And I said, Gary, I can do this show. She's from Minneapolis. I'm from Milwaukee. She, you know, wants to be in a career girl. I worked at a small television station in Los Angeles as one of my jobs. Uh, so he said, okay, I'll get you an appointment. And only because he referred me did they take me. He said, I'll back you up. And when I went in there, Treva Silverman was there. She was the first woman. And she did a lot of the shows. She was a friend of Jim and Alan's. And I was the second woman. And from then on, they hired 25 women. So they really made an effort and they changed. And that's why the show was so good because it was the first time just little things, and I talk about it in my book. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Where I said, at one point, they said, and then Mary goes and gets cleaned up. And I said, um, no, we don't go and get cleaned up. We take a bath or a shower. It's different. They said, oh, okay. You know, little things like that that made it more real and more natural. And all the shows I did were for my own life. My first one was how... Um, she comes in one day and Twinks is there. Twinks oh, we love Twinks. Who <laughs> was the receptionist who was your friend in camp. Mm. You know, you always get some person that knew you from 100 years ago and thinks you're their best friend. And then you have to stand up to their wedding and wear an ugly dress. <laughs> Every woman knows that. Uh, Every woman could have pitched that story. They, they, they thought I was a genius. Where would you get this idea? You know. And I also took that my husband and I were looking for a house and the real estate guy's name was Arnold Tvet. And he gave me his card. I said, you can't kill this name with a stick. If you take out the E, it's still Tvet. If you take out the D, it's still Tvet. It's Tvet. So that was perfect. So I just pitched stuff from my own life. And then another show was when Valerie lost her job, Rhoda lost her job. I love this one. There was a job opening at the station. And Mary didn't want her to have it. For like one minute, she said it. And Ed said, wow, you're just as lousy as all the rest of us. Because you know, even though you love your friends and you want to be with them, Sometimes you want your own little special nest and you don't know how it's going to work out. And, and of course, Mary immediately said, no, she'd offer her the job. You know, and then she said, I don't want it. I have a better job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Job. But anyway, so I did all the things from my own life. And uh, all the writers afterward, the 25 women, I think, changed TV. For us, it was the friendship between Rhoda and Mary that was written so real that we knew that men really couldn't... Um, be writing. Well, why should you pay? No matter what it is. Because I want to. And because I lied when I said it was Phil. What? Rhoda, I don't know why I did it. I guess maybe I thought I would have to be responsible for you or that you know, maybe it wouldn't be good for our friendship to be working that closely together all the time. You know, we'd get on each other's nerves maybe, but anyway, I'm sorry I did it and it's yours if you still want it. What's mine if I still want it? <laughs> the job. Yeah, it was uh, it was a unique experience and it was a, an incredible experience. And also, I didn't know that you could make anything up. That's how ill-informed I was. <laughs> oh. I thought I had to only tell the truth. Wow. So I had to tell stories from my own life. And if I said I said this before. If I had a meeting on a Wednesday and nothing had happened to me on Tuesday, I would like panic. I'd go through the phone book, airport. <laughs> what I you know I thought it had to be my own life, so I only pitched stories from my own life. Partridge Family, I did the hot pants story for Shirley Jones because I wore hot pants. Um, Maud, can, can you describe that episode for us again? Shirley, Shirley is is she going to school? Is that right? No, Shirley Jones. Um, well, I did two different ones. Shirley Jones meets a young guy who has a crush on her, and his parents come to challenge her. And she's wearing hot pants because uh, they decided to do that for the band. Because I wore hot pants and TV Guide wrote an article, which I have up there, said, you know, they don't give you $3,500. That's what we used to get because you have good legs. And that's Ouch. sort of 
from then on, I became the person in hot pants. I actually wore hot pants. I am so sorry, feminist. I don't know why I did it. It, was, it worked. What can I say? Hey, if you have good legs, there's no okay. shame in flaunting yeah. them. Yeah. So anyway, um, so that was the beginning. And I also, what other, oh, Maud, I wrote, um, the first Maud was uh, the daughter, Carol, was going to therapy and the mother and mother mm-hmm. said, blame everything on me I, yes that's what I said to my mother I'm going to therapy she said, are you gonna blame me everything and my mother was kind of maud like I was terrified of her and I said of course I am gonna blame everything on you and so all most of those shows oh and then my other Mary I did um where she's interviewing the guy uh and the tape recorder breaks and they go out oh, I love oh is it Paul Sand is that who that is what happened was um I saw a review there was a there was a guy in Chicago who said Mary's undersexed so I went in the next time and I said guys they said Mary's undersexed let's get her some sex you know (laughs) that was that one and then another one I had a crush on a teacher and this was the Michael Tolan one where she goes to take a class and she gets a B (laughs) minus and (laughs) what do I have to do to get a B you know she starts dating him so all the stories were from my own life How exciting was it when you would write a line? Um, Let's just say, for example, for Twinks. So when you're writing and you create this character, I mean, you, you, you're writing for Twinks and then Pat Finley walks in and delivers them and not just delivers them, but just, I mean, she just slays that character and the lines, but you sometimes forget that, wait, somebody put those words in her mouth. Everybody forgets. They think the actors are making them up on us. But how thrilling was that for you to go to the table read and just see those words come to life so brilliantly? Yeah. The other thing is back in the day, this was the best place to work. No other place invited you to the table read. You know, you were, they take your script, they'd rewrite it and change it and everything. I mean, these guys... I was involved in every step along the way, plus the tapings, and it was wonderful. And yeah, Pat was was very funny. She was good. Hi, kid. I got Hi. the brochures from the travel agency. Now they have this trip to Hawaii that looks Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had company. No, no, no. Oh, no. I'm not company. I'm Twinks. <laughs> Twinks. Rhoda Morgan Stern, Twinks McFarlane. Twinks. We know each other from Amwak. Um, walk. <laughs> you know, camp um, walk. I say I'm between 50 and death. I don't really lie. I, say I love that line. <laughs> I but I love that line. And I did this on my book tour. I, I had one bad experience, unfortunately, with a woman, believe it or not. They said, this is a feminist woman and she's dying to interview. And I said, great. And she said something about how old you are. And I said, I say I'm between 50 and death. And she got so upset. That's anti-feminist. I said, uh, excuse me. I was a feminist before you were born, number one. And number two, it's all about choice. I love that, how you said that. We can plastic surgery if we want to. Yes, we do. We can be white-haired or blonde. I've been blonde for many years. I'm now white-haired because I've been in the house for two years. (laughs) And (laughs) it saves me a lot of money. And, you know, I still want to have a date and get married again. So I'm between 50 and death. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, the, the thing is that Feminism, at the time, Iris and I actually went to a meeting and they were literally talking about burning their bras. And I said, I was the last person in grade school to get a bra. I was flat chested. I was the only one wearing an undershirt and I'm not giving up this bra. <laughs> I will my bra. pay my dues in work. I will break the ceiling in any way, but I am not getting rid of this <laughs> got rid of my bra during the pandemic I'm having a lot of trouble going back yeah I, agree. I go out now and I and it's very common to see people without I'm always them. in a yeah, I'm in my nightgown and I, yeah. I, I don't have a bra on but I'm, I'm glad to I know that I'm in my to. pajama pants right now Me can too. I just can I just share one more just because this is on. go on it's a, <laughs> There's the cold open. Okay. I just, because I just, I get so thrilled now, um, you know, I'm knowing we were going to be talking with you and going back and rewatching. I, I mean, and, and I'm not just pandering to you. I promise Susan, oh, but like pander, go on. Some, of your, <laughs> some of your, your episodes of Mary Tyler Moore, cause we've all watched all of the Mary Tyler Moore episodes probably multiple times. I was so thrilled to learn which ones you wrote and to see your name come up written by Susan Silver. I'm like, I know her. I didn't know you yet, but I was sort of like, I know her. Anyway, I just wanted to just tell you that those are some of my, before I even knew you wrote them, those are some of my favorite episodes. And can I tell you, I just want to, I, 
um, after, you know, just in the past week, I've been going back and rewatching some of them again. And I just want to share this line that has always cracked me up um, from The Square Shaped Room, which is your, the episode you wrote in which Ed Asner won an Emmy. We love a good Phyllis Zinger mm-hmm. um, here because yeah. Phyllis is awesome. Um, so um, Mary is um, talking to Phyllis and she's saying, you know, I think I'm going to ask Rhoda to um, to step in and de- decorate. And um, Phyllis is like, well, she can't do that. She's, you know, not an interior decorator. And Mary says this, and this is coming straight from Susan Silver's mind, you guys. Haven't you seen the Christmas windows she's done at Hempel's? Phyllis says, then Rhoda's your girl. If Mr. Grant wants to live in a manger. <laughs> oh, I oh, love it cracks it. me up. And I just wanted to let you know that, that um, mm-hmm. you've given us so many laughs. The best, um, the best one from that show is my, first of all, why Ed won his Emmy, which I loved Ed so much. He was the best when he walks in and he sees this room and it's all white and modern. And he says, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And she says, says, yes, look at the bedroom. He leaves and he turns to Mary and says, I hate it. It's so good. good. Oh, it's it's so awesome. He was awesome. And he almost does it in the same breath. Yes. He's still in the same frozen smile. He's like, I love it. I hate it. And when he points to the to the print and he says, because it has that five, and he said, she must have gone through four other ones before she decided on this <laughs> That was one. a good one, yeah. I love it's that. It's so classic. And we're and, still talking about it. Like oh, when, I know. When you're talking about that episode in your book, I know, I can see it in my head. I'm playing it in my head. You How guys are amazing. super fans. You're super married. But I, it's kind of universal. I don't think I'm the only one who's able to do that. And that is a testament to the quality of the TV. Well, the biggest we laugh I ever got out of all my shows, see if you know what it is. What do you think? Oh, oh, I'm guessing the bridesmaid dress. Well, that oh, was the, the bridesmaid's year. dress. That was yes. Mary. God, did you? Oh, can I ask you a question? No. Did you write that in the script? Like, did yeah. you describe what you wanted that dress yeah. to look like? Little Bo All that basically. thing is the sheep. It would look like both. Yes. Right. Did a yeah. brilliant job. And then oh. the only thing uglier than this dress is this mm-hmm. dress. Dress in purple. purple. <laughs> no, the biggest laugh was in the show where Rhoda is hanging around Mary's apartment all the time because she doesn't have a job and she has her hair dry around. Oh, I love that. And Phyllis jumped yes. oh. I'm trying not to make too much noise. Oh, those hair dryers. Yes. You know, we used to wear them. With yes, the- yes. And oh Phyllis just takes the hose out of Rhoda's hair dryer and talks into it. Yeah, <laughs> Rhoda. <laughs> so all the characters on that show were so individual and just so wildly just different, but just characters, right? So how much fun was that to write for all the zingers, like Ted's zingers or, you know, Murray's comebacks or the band, like, just like the, yeah, Phyllis and Rhoda, like, did you just have a ball? Like once you, once you got an idea who these characters were, then was it just kind of off to the races um, writing for their specific voices? Well, that's when I used to teach, I would say, to be a sitcom writer is really to be a good listener. Just to know that Mary sounds different than Rhoda and Ed sounds different than, I mean, that's all. So what you should do is watch a show a million times so you hear the voices and know that they're all different. And then you just plug it in. It's just being a copycat, it it really is. And I mean, to me, it was very easy and I know it's not. So that's probably why I did okay because it was just, I was able, to hear the difference in the voices and know who would say that or who would, you know, say something else. And like my favorite line ever, ever was when Ted, Ted was so much fun to write for, except he got upset because he thought people really thought he was stupid and he wasn't. But anyway, he's reading something in the news and it says World War I. Oh, I love that. World War I. (laughs) That was my favorite line I ever wrote, ever, ever, ever. World (sighs) War. Uh, and Mary's like dying, you know. Well, and it's so perfect for Ted. I also just always love between him and Murray, like how Murray just goats goads him all the time. So they were all, also they were such great people. But you see, the the genius of that show was the creation of those characters. I felt it was Mary in the center, and it was a spoke with a wheel, and they were all around. They don't necessarily see that way, but I did. But each character was so brilliantly conceived and written that. You could go on forever and you knew, I mean, that's the other thing, you know what everybody's attitude is. So when something happens, you know how they're going to react and you pay attention. And, and the thing is that I, did, I, I knew so little 
you're never supposed to come in with a guest star being the focus of your show. It's always supposed to be the cast. But when I came in with Twinks, they liked the idea of the story. And it was like, I, that was a rule that was broken. You never really add another character to be the focus of a show on your first show because they want to see how well you write the people in the show. One of the one of the brilliant aspects of the Mary Tyler Moore show is that they handed us characters that maybe we weren't supposed to like, and yet we did. And one of those is Phyllis. I adore Phyllis. Oh, I yes. adore that woman. She's crazy. And, oh, well, and that's what I wonder, because I hear the things about Cloris Leachman about, you talked about the, the, the spokes on the wheel. Where does Phyllis, where does Cloris Leachman fit on that? Way up there. <laughs> she, like way up into the, she was, the ceiling. Even in the readings, it was so interesting. You'd go to the readings. Mary would read it exactly right, exactly the way she was going to do it in the show. Valerie would try different things. She wasn't sure. And Phyllis wasn't even in the room. She'd come late. She wouldn't stay in her place. She didn't know. She hadn't read it. She said, and the camera guys would go nuts because they never knew what she was going to. She was a genius, though. Well, that almost the I way wonder. you just described yeah. them, it almost sounds like they're characters, though. Like that's were, what Mary yeah. would that's do. What Mary that's what Rhoda well. would do. Yeah. That's what Phyllis would do. That's so right. true. And then she delivered like. It sounds like her um, insanity is what she brought to the performance and people loved it. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's so interesting when they did the spinoff, it didn't work. Oh, I was all there for it. (laughs) Maybe I was the only one watching. I was the only one. I mean, it's look, I have somewhere up here the top 10 shows, you know, from the Writers Guild. And over the years, it was one because those guys, Jim Brooks and Alan Burns just designed the most perfect wonderful experience and also to work for them was so wonderful they treated you so well and you were included and it was it was heaven and then I went on to other places and it was not heaven you mentioned Maude earlier and um how involved were you in the creation of her character because you were involved in the very first episode were they did they hand you a character and say Maude is like this can you write for this or did you say I want Maude to be like this no, what happened was, and, and this is really was a unique experience, but Norman Lear was the other genius. There were three great geniuses at the time, the MTM guys, Gary, who he always said he wanted to do recess in the day, and Norman, who did the serious, political, incredible stuff, and he's 100 years old this year. And, and he's so amazing. So great. Yeah. So um, Maude was a spinoff of All in the Family. Maude was the cousin, and she came on for one episode there, so they already knew who she was. And then he got a, a buy for the show to be Maude, but he was on vacation. So they asked me to come in and write the first one. Rod Parker was the producer. And I wrote it. I came in with my story of my mother and me and everything. I wrote it. And they did, I would say, a pretty good, like maybe half rewriting. Now it's very upset. But Norman came back and he knew that character. It was his wife. He knew what he wanted it to be. And nobody else had seen it or done it. So I said, you know what? I understand. And then he was so kind. He kept my name on it, which he didn't need to. I mean, it was my story and it was my premise and everything, but he didn't really need to. But anywhere else, if they rewrote me, I just never went back. But that was unique in that show because he knew that character so well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I didn't go to taping because I was afraid of B.R. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. She she literally afraid of her. Well. is that because of who she was or because she was like your mom? Uh, both, I think. I was <laughs> on her to say, who wrote this shitty script? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like these these were really incredible men and they were enlightened men to work for. That's not what I expect to hear about these stories. Anyway, but these guys were so great. And then you go to other places and you expect it to be the same way. And it wasn't. Wow. And some of the guys were really nasty. And there's a producer who Iris and I called Feet. I won't say who he was. We came into the meeting and he put his feet up on the desk right in our faces. <laughs> and another guy who I did talk about, I think he's dead now, but anyway, um, we went into the office and he had an entire wall of breasts, pictures of breasts. Oh, yes, I what? remember. Are you the secretaries? We said, no, we're the writers. And what are those? Oh well, can God. I just say then, thank you for sticking <laughs> with it. Because a lot of, I mean, there are probably a lot of women that would have said, fuck this you know i'm not gonna do this anymore so thank you thank you thank you i have to tell you the truth my book aside from the showbiz and the boomer stuff and everything is about three things it's about reinvention which you have to Mm -hmm. do in 20 years and as we get older you know that you guys did it resilience which i never knew i had until i wrote the book 
and relationships. Resilience, I was so surprised that I went through these things. And, but if I had started out on a show that was mean to me, I probably would have given up. Mm -hmm. uh, People Magazine did an article about the women writers and they had different names for them. And mine said, pushy, pushy, pushy. And I cried for two days. And my husband said, you get a t-shirt and you write pushy, pushy, pushy. And you wear it to all your meetings. And I did, and he was right. But I cried for two days. So I wouldn't have had the resilience had I started out in a show that was mean to me. Right. Wow. And that's a, that's a kismet of sorts because that show clearly needed to be. It needed to be. We needed to have it 50 years later. I think for um, our generation, particularly this Gen X generation who grew up um, watching that part of Saturday Night TV and as women or girls then, and we've heard this from our listeners, Mary was like, the role model. I mean, when we looked for our first apartments, we had Mary's apartment in our mind. We were mm -hmm. looking for the wall that we were going to hang our initial on. I we, have one. <laughs> yes, we wanted to be Mary. So in a way, you directly impacted how we walked through life and, you know, the, the women that we held up as role models and who we wanted to be when we were going to be, you know, out of college. We didn't have to get married. We could get a job. And I was the only one of my uh, girls growing up. There were four Susans and a Judy. Everybody was named Susan. In that era. <laughs> and they all went to Wisconsin to get their MRS. Mm -hmm. And I was the only one who went somewhere else to get a career. Yeah. So, yeah. So I now that I am this incredibly giving human, you can all ask to find a guy for me. <laughs> I have got okay. to get married again within the next year or it'll be too late. And I well, not. I'm called the search for Mr. Adequate. I haven't found him yet. And I've been divorced from another generation and another century. So it's time. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Susan, you got to get out of your house, though, to make that happen. That would help. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That would help. I kept saying, why can't someone move next door? Two single guys did move next door, but they had girlfriends. And I just want that next door to be the option. I just want them to knock on the door. You can turn the world on this was an amazing conversation. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you. I am too. I just, and I feel like the next time I see written by Susan Silver and I say, I know her, she's my, can I call you my friend? I feel like I'm friendly with you. If you find me a husband, you can call me your best friend. Oh gosh. Okay. Listeners, we're going to have to, we'll have to put that out to our people. Yes. This is what I want. Yes. Okay. 65 to 75, tall. Really good looking. I'm sorry. I'm so I'm so superficial. Really, really, really smart. My husband was like so smart. You have to be really smart mm -hmm. and fun and likes to travel and not working anymore because you want to have fun. Okay. okay. Listeners, we've put it out there. That's right. It's out in the universe. Right DM us your suggestions. Mm -hmm. Susan That's is right. drop dead gorgeous. She is so smart. She has the best energy and stories and um, yeah, let's, let's, let's set her thing. up. Let's do can it. Let's show do you one thing. Yeah. And then, wait, can we yeah. ask you though, if we can come to your wedding? Oh, please. Oh. <laughs> okay, great. Thank <laughs> you. If we, if we make this happen. Oh, look. Oh yeah. Could oh. you just take us around your office? Sure. You guys, I'm going to tell you what we're seeing. We, we are seeing beautiful photos um, framed in her office. You're going um, to make, make, you're gonna make it after all. all. And then we, these are pictures of Susan. Oh, there's Sean, her crush. Yeah, Wasn't yes. that Sean's celebrity crush? Yes. Yeah, I think it was. You guys, uh, just uh, books and pictures and articles framed. Right. Oh, my gosh. We, it's such a pleasure to know you now. And I hope you can continue our relationship. To, to Minneapolis, but I'm, I'm only going, I'm going to California in September to a conference. And then I'm going to Florida to try it out. Hey, well, you I will, might meet someone there, Susan. That's why I'm going mainly. Yeah. <laughs> I love okay. you. Well, we okay. will find, we guarantee you a year from now, we will um, be meeting your, your oh, God. significant oh, other. From your lips to God's <laughs> ears, because I really need a sex. Oh, she needs, she needs to find a man now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I love yeah. you guys. I so, okay. We love you too. I do this just to hang out sometimes. Oh my, oh my God. God. Yes. It's so fun. What? Oh my goodness. That was fun. Many, many thanks to the lovely Susan Silver. She's not kidding about that boyfriend, by the way. If your dad is single <laughs> and meets Susan's requirements, please send us a DM <laughs> right away. I mean, think about it. You could be just one degree away from Mary Richards. That's a big deal. <laughs> 
So thanks to Susan, not just for her time today, but also for the legend she helped create, who in turn expanded the dreams of an entire generation of little girls. We were those little girls who had a future that didn't look like, you know, the people from the 50s. Because of her and the army of women who wrote for Mary Tyler Moore, we always knew that we would make it on our own. Thanks for listening today. Yes, and please join us next week for another fun-filled, nostalgic trip down memory lane. And we'd love for you also to get to read Susan's book. So I'm including in the show notes a link to her book as well as in this week's Weekly Reader. If you don't already subscribe to our newsletter, you can visit our website or check out our link in bio on Instagram. And you guys, we also talked to Susan about another one of the iconic shows from our childhoods that she wrote for, Square Pegs. Square pegs, square pegs, square, square pegs. God, I love that show. Um, And she spilled the beans on the possible reason that show was only on for one season. But because of time, we have put that conversation over on our Patreon page for all our supporters over there to enjoy. So go check that out at patreon.com. And while you're over there, um, check out all the other fun extras like that that our, our patrons get. And thank you all for sharing our podcast with others. We see your DMs. We read your emails. And a lot of you tell us um, that you're sharing our podcast with all the people you know. And we appreciate that so much. Honestly, it helps. Um, and for rating and for leaving a nice review on Apple Podcasts, we read all of those as well. And if you don't, you should go to Apple Podcasts and read all <laughs> the nice reviews. They're really, they're really sweet. They make they us feel good, so right? Sweet. They're a nice little, they're a nice boost. They it are. tells us that no. these conversations that we have um, mean something to you guys. And that in turn means a lot to us. Um, and we also, we appreciate so much all of our patrons over on Patreon um, for really keep keeping this uh, podcast trucking. Did I say that right? Right. I think I did. Um, and this yeah, week we're giving a enough. special shout out to patrons, Jeremy, Amy, Francis, Taylor, and Rachel. Thank you all so much for your support. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.